Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello and let's get ready to rumble! <laughs> well, that could have been the title of this week's episode, considering what's been going on behind the scenes with myself and the serial killer whisperer, Amanda Howard. Hello, yeah. Slugger. <laughs> Hello, Robert. I wish that you would stop trying to fight me. You can't win. I deal with psychopaths. <laughs> Didn't you tell me that I always win our arguments? Yeah, because I'm a crier when I get cranky and I hate it. And so once I cry, I won't talk. So <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> <No>. I'm sharing. <laughs> she hung up the video link on me a few days ago and uh, Robbie doesn't like that, let me tell you. Uh, so we've had a bit of a tanty this week, haven't we? We both have, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't have a tanty, dear listener. Yeah, but uh, someone rung me repeatedly for an hour, so and yeah, I refused to Yeah, because she wouldn't talk them. to me. <laughs> I, I, and I sent her a text. I kept ringing her. She kept hanging up on me, and I said, are you seriously not bored of this yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm stubborn. <laughs> but anyway. We, but it's all love and sunshine now, so it's all good. Yes. Once and again... Then, I was yeah. going to say, and then last night once we got it all going and everything, we're almost at the end of the episode and I went, oh, I'm not recording. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm to blame for that too. <laughs> so we're trying again. The only thing you need to know is that, as usual, I was right and Amanda was wrong. <laughs> Amanda, in this episode we're actually, in all seriousness, looking at one of the worst types of killers. Well, we are because we're looking at um, an angel of death and she's a baby killer on top of that. So we're looking at someone who we would want to put our trust in, especially with our young ones, and she abused that trust by killing several babies. So Beverly Allett is up there in one of the most evil, I think. Mm. Well, that psychological profile will be coming up a little shortly. In the meantime, let's get to the news. And the man accused of the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand has pled guilty to all charges in what has been described as a surprising move. This was the moment Brenton Tarrant changed his plea. To each of these charges, charge 1 to 51, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Yes, guilty. To each of these charges, charge 52 to 91, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? Guilty. And you are further charged that on the 15th day of March 2019 at Christchurch, you did engage in a terrorist act. How do you plead, guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Tarrant's guilty plea means there will not be a trial for the man who carried out New Zealand's worst peacetime atrocity. Amanda, what would be the motivation for changing his plea? Up until this point, he had always said, not guilty, not guilty. 
but he, he surprised everyone by pulling out this guilty plea. Well, I think everyone's actually been blindsided and it's not made that the news purely because of all of this corona stuff that's going on. So it's it's almost snuck un, under the radar. So I think, mm-hmm. I think it comes down to that um, he wasn't going to get away with it and I think maybe... Um, all of their wheeling and dealing in the background wasn't going to work. And so he's changed his mind. But really, we do not know what this guy is thinking. It's it's It just proves that sometimes, um, you know, fiction is is as dubious as, as reality. And here we see someone who has just gone through all of this stuff on Facebook to then go, yeah, I did it. You know, no. I'm like, I mean, we all knew he did. And well, now there's a whole video this. showing him doing it, like literally exactly. with the gun, him turning up to the mosque, him pulling the triggers. It's, uh, I mean, he was always going to be found guilty anyway, let's be honest. But well, interesting we can't to have, say that. Well, we can yeah, now well, because he's pled guilty. But, yeah, so they were prepared for um, a June trial. It was ready to go. And really the police actually said that um, he sort of sent a note out saying, you know, I want to appear in front of court. They didn't even know what he was going to do. They didn't know if that this was going to be, you know, a different deal or mm. if he was going to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, any of these things. No one knew what was going to happen until he goes, yeah, I'm going to plead guilty to everything. Lay it on me. Interesting stuff. Serial killer Rose West has been inundated with Mother's Day cards sent to her by fans. The Sun reports West, who murdered at least 10 women and girls, has the cards on display. Amanda, I think when we first started this podcast, there was an uproar at the time that a book about her was actually being suggested as a Mother's Day gift. But this is something completely different. Why would people send her Mother's Day cards? Well, I think you said it yourself, Robert, these are being sent by fans. So these are people who admire serial killers, who who want to have that juxtaposition with them, not that they want to go and kill themselves, but they think that this is kind of their 15 seconds of, of fame, really, that, oh, you know, Rose West knows who I am because I sent her a, a card. It's it's the um, adulation that comes from groupies and, and those hybristophiles out there that, that want to get a bit of notoriety by saying that they've sent a card because, let's face it, sometimes things like this end up on on the news and they show pictures and and someone might go oh yeah that's my card and that's why they do it they want to have that notoriety saying you know oh, I'm so bad because I sent a card to a serial killer but at the same time we have the other issue that this is a woman who though she was a mum to many children um she killed other people's daughters you know yeah. it's just so horrific and it's it's just shocking that people think that this is a cool thing to do what is the um Why is there an association with West and Mother's Day? Is it because she was a killer mother? Yes and no. I mean, it is basically because she had, um, and I might be wrong here, about eight or nine children herself. Mm. And so there is this juxtaposition of this this dowdy woman and this sex-crazed psychopath that was killing women and doing the most horrendous torture to them, like that they were literally, the, 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 her victims were tied up in the cellar and they were stripped of their skin and then stripped of their meat. Like this is what they did to these people until there was nothing left. And so people want to um, so, sort of put her on a pedestal of one of the worst. And, you know, before her there was Myra Hindley and, you know, in Australia there's Kath Folbig that, that, that people like, like to put this this title on of, you know, 
most hated woman in the country. And so people want to say, well, I sent her a birthday card because I'm cool, you know, and this yeah. is what they do. It, it makes no sense to me. I've never sent a card to any killer, no presents, no birthday cards, no Christmas cards, nothing. I think um, that's a right that they shouldn't have to, to celebrate these moments. It should be joyous for people, especially when their victims out there, like their mm. victims' families out there, have these moments that they can't celebrate anymore because of their loss. That's quite interesting. Um, I also find it fascinating, these people that uh, you're talking about that almost look up to these serial killers. What Where we come from is uh, there, there's definitely a fascination with true crime at the moment, no doubt, and, mm-hmm. you know, we're feeding into that with this podcast, although I would like to think we go a little bit beyond just a fascination there with our psychological profiles. But I find it hard that people are looking up to her, you know, like, yes, I get the interest. I get the idea that there would be a fascination with what she did and trying to understand it. But do they admire her? Yeah, they do because they they really? enjoy that notoriety that she has and and they don't want to do what she did to get it. So this is the closest that they can get to her Oh, that it's danger. living vicariously. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's mm. sort of looking over into the abyss without actually falling into it. And this is what they do. There is so many people. I've, I've had serial killers send me photos that they've received from these sorts of groupies. You know, they're naked or they're in bikinis. It just depends on which prison. They all have different laws. And, you know, they go, take a look at these girls. Like, don't they realise that I raped girls that look like that? You know, and mm. things like this. Some of these killers think it's absolutely hilarious that they have these these sex-crazed groupies and then others are um, Well, surely others disgusted. would get off on it. Well, oh, they're disgusted, well, yeah. really. Yeah, a lot of them are disgusted with those sorts of groupies, which is probably why I get to talk to them a bit more because I don't go into that fandom. Um, but, yeah, as huh. you said as well, there are those that actually get offered it. I mean, when I started talking to Arthur Shawcross, he wanted to be my grandfather. Like, he goes, you know, I'm I'm old enough to be your grandpa, call me grandpa, you know, and stuff like this. Right. And this is what they do sometimes, um, that they want to... Um, relate to everyone on the outside because it, it gives them an extra um, freedom almost. So yeah, they that. like it from that sense. But, you know, I still don't understand the serial killer groupies. Hmm. Well, a new book claims to have discovered Australia's first serial killer. The Killing Streets by Tanya Bretherton claims Eric Craig is the first known serial killer dating back to 1930. Amanda, I can hear you laughing already. (laughs) I'm assuming this isn't the earliest case you've come across? Oh, my God, not even close. You know, we can go back 100 years before them even. Um, You know, we we have people like Albert Schmidt, we have um, Albert Moss, we have Arnold Soderman, which we did a a whole summer case on i mean even if if you want to go into all of the bush rangers alexander pierce ned kelly all of these people killed before eric craig did you know is ned kelly a bush is ned kelly a serial killer uh, well, he killed several people, so over a certain time. Uh, it's about... Uh, I, su- I suppose. It's about um, the different motives. See, when... when And this is what I try and get out, out to people so often. We think of Ted Bundy. We think of that as our serial killer. But mm. not all of them were out for sex crimes. You know, Ned Kelly was out for profit. That is still a serial killer. So he still fits in that Although frame. serial killers in our day and age aren't usually driven by profit. Oh, yes, they are. 
Oh, really? yes, they are. I mean, we're, we're looking at, um, oh, I can't remember his his name. His first name was Charles Mabombo or whatever it was. Um, he did a t- sell the jewellery of his victims. That's true. But when we talked about that, you said most aren't driven by profit. There are some no. driven. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just one of the, I mean, black widows, which are our females that kill their husbands. Yes. They do it for the insurance money. Yeah, right. It's, it's really no different to... Um, to Ned Kelly standing there with his guns up saying, give me everything you got. Ned Kelly was a uh, infamous Australian bush ranger, um, one of someone weirdly this country looks up to. <laughs> I'll never understand that and we will get to that, I promise. Oh, okay. Well, look, uh, <laughs> there have been more experts coming forward giving us their take on the most popular star sign for serial killers. This is what's happening in the news this week. (laughs) According to the Western Suburbs Weekly, in 2008, Dutch statistician Dr Jan Roo analysed the birth charts of nearly 300 serial killers and found a statistically significant tendency for serial killers to be born under the multiple signs, namely Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius and Pisces. Another detailed analysis of the horoscopes of 60 serial killers published in the Astrology Research Journal recently showed certain astrological features occur consistently by considerably more than random chance. Perth astrologer Kim Eckermals studied the horoscopes of 60 serial killers and found the same thing according to her results. Amanda, this seems to be a topic of fascination and I know you've been working on your own study. Where are you up to at the moment? (laughs) This is hurting me. It really, really is. Okay, God love them. They did 300 serial killers and 60 serial killers. I've done 5,432 serial killers. Now, that's an impressive number and that started, I want to say, a month ago. I don't um, even think, yeah. We did a story um, in the news section about... Um, someone who had studied uh, 300, it was about 300 um, serial killers and came out with that it was a Taurus. Um, But even when we were talking about that, 300 wasn't a significant number considering there are thousands. But that was a two-year study. You've done 5,000 in less than a month. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is what I do. I love to research. I don't like to sleep. I would prefer just to go down these rabbit holes. And I know that there are more out there. I'm actually still looking and still going through it. And I still have about a thousand of those that I have to still actually find their birth dates. Now, some of them I will never get because they're, you know, like from the fifth century and things like yeah, that, right. um, that there's absolutely no way. It's basically any serial killer after about 1900, maybe 1800 that I can get dates of birth for. So I'm digging through um, birth charts and I'm digging through ancestry websites and all of that. But yeah, um, they're all wrong. It is and (laughs) and remains um, Aquarius as number one. So. There you go. Aquarius is the official answer. But you've also found something else in this huge research project. What's that? Well, everyone keeps saying, and including Roy Hazelwood, which is who was one of the hugest experts in, in the subject, um, that female serial killers are rare. And they believe that there is actually less than 40 female serial killers from history. Mm. So, so far I've found 1,500 serial killers. 1,500? Yes. And wow. that actually equates to 25%. So one in four serial killers is a female. Very, very interesting, Amanda. Um, yep, so they're not really rare. 
Well, I look forward to the final <laughs> results of this study, which we will um, bring to you here in Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. And I tell you what, we were talking about Rose West. It, I've got to tell you, the Fred and Rose West episode of this podcast was fascinating. And if you want to catch up with that one, you can find it on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MWM Confessions. All of our back catalogue is there for your perusal and you can become a member just for a short time to go and get those back episodes and then leave again. Although there are many other benefits coming on the website, including next month in April when our $20 plus patrons will be able to watch a recording of an episode. That's going to be quite interesting to see. (laughs) In the meantime, we'll take a short break and when we come back, our psychological profile... I'm Beverly Allett. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Too many channels, too much choice. What the hell should I watch? They are the daily cries from living rooms all around the country, but fret not Australia, we're here to help. Join me, Dan Bennett, plus Steve Monkey Malk, Stephen Brookie Brook, and the always fabulous Joe Casamento as we slice, dice, and dissect the best and worst of what's on the box in our brand new podcast, TV Binge Box. And we want you to be part of the show too. Find out just how to do that and get our thoughts on what's making the small screen sizzle in our very first episode live in your podcast feed of choice on Thursday, March 19. Spin-offs can totally work. Trust me, I'm a writer. This week, we head back to the UK as we examine a baby killer. In May 1993, Beverly Allett, a state-enrolled nurse, then age 31, was found guilty of the murders of four young children, of the attempted murder of a further three children, and of causing grievous bodily harm with intent on a further six children. All of the victims had been in her care in the paediatric ward of the Grantham and Keverstein General Hospital. She was acquitted of charges relating to a further two children, but was sentenced to 13 concurrent terms of life imprisonment on the charges of which she had been found guilty. Amanda, without giving too much away, you work in a similar environment. How would it feel to find out that there had been a serial killer among the staff? Well, it would be really hard for them to get to that point. Um, in in the hospital environment, uh, there is lots of meetings and investigations that happen on any death. So the fact that she was able to get to so many children is actually quite surprising because, um, I mean, every hospital has an expected number of deaths. So if suddenly that went higher, especially mm. in patients that were not supposed to die, um, there is often an investigation and an M&M meeting, which stands for morbidity and mortality. And these meetings are about what happened, what did we do, what didn't we do, what could we do better, you know, could this have been for could this have been prevented? So there's all of these questions that get asked every time that there's a death. And with this, they actually went in the opposite direction. Uh, Someone actually sort of thought, "Mm, I think there's something bad going on here. And one of the head doctors actually denied it, said there's absolutely not going on. This is just something that has happened. And he blindly refused to believe that there was something untoward happening here. 
that is bizarre. But yet here we had a nurse dedicated to saving the lives of people in her care doing the exact opposite despite what this doctor said. Mm-hmm. You know, last season we examined the Canadian aged care nurse Elizabeth Wetloffer. What makes Alec different to her? Well, they're kind of similar, but they're they're very different at the same time. I mean, Wetloffer was from a place of rage. I mean, if you remember what we talked about, Mm -hmm. um, there was those issues that she would say, you know, oh, he was a horrible man, he would curse and swear, or he would assault other people. Yes, there were people who annoyed her. Yes, yes. She she was really after those people that she thought they deserved to die, Mm. whereas Alet has a hero complex. So she wanted the attention of being able to save lives. So this actually wasn't about the killings. It was more about, oh, my God, this child has crashed. We need to resuscitate. Look at me. I'm the one who who told everyone that they had to come because I noticed what was happening. So was the deaths a mistake on her part? I don't think they were a mistake because I think she was happy to keep testing and pushing those boundaries. It wasn't about, oh, whoops, I gave them too much. Because even with the Wetloffer case, we saw that, you know, sometimes she, she gave 50 units of insulin, mm. that was enough, and other times it was 500, and, and, and they would survive. So this is more about that she was trying to push them to that point. I mean, one of the babies, she actually injected air in, into their armpit. That caused a massive embolism wow. and a collapsed lung. So, I mean, she would push these these babies to, her, to those points of absolute death, but she always hoped to be the one that raised the alarm and brought them back. So she mm. just wanted to be the hero. Well, the police interviews with Alad have only just recently been released and were published by a UK broadcaster, ITV. Let's take a listen and start breaking it all down. You were arrested this morning on suspicion of the attempt murder of Paul uh, Crampton, who was a baby on the ward from about the 20th of March. Do you remember that child being on the ward? Yes, I do. We have got this kid for Paul Crampton. He has some arm has been done to it. You are the prime suspect at the moment. Everything points at you. you I have everything points at What can I do to you say I didn't? I told you I didn't do it. And I wouldn't dream of doing it to anybody. God. Why a patient if I hated somebody that much? Okay, before I start asking questions, there's a second bit of audio in there that sounds like a timestamp or something. It sounds like a reading out of numbers. What is is that what it is? Yeah, it's it's a timestamp. So it's to stop police sort of, you know, stopping the tape beating the suspect and then replaying. It actually right. has a live timestamp recorder. So that has to continue to go as an as a background noise to show that there's no stops and starts in gotcha. the tapes. Yeah. All right. My first take listening to that is she sounds like a child, but there seems to be frustration in her voice. Yeah, I mean, she's angry. I mean, we know that if we were accused of something that we hadn't done, we would get upset, but we would not want to show any sort of anger because we wouldn't want them to think, ah, yeah, see, there, I can see it. It's that sort of person that that would kill a baby. But she doesn't care. She's going for it. You know, she isn't upset that she's been arrested for these killings because she believes in in her own innocence. But she answers them with, with her own questions because she doesn't want to say no. It's interesting. It's a very different take to Wetloffer. In the Wetloffer interview, she was just spewing the information out. She was telling them everything. So um, this is a very, very different tact. Yeah, I mean, 
angels of death are really, really hard to pinpoint because there is so many people coming in and out of hospital rooms the whole time. Most of them write notes. Some of them don't, believe me. Working in a hospital, I have seen people chase doctors to try and find out what they decided because no one wrote anything down. And, you know, you have um, your... Uh, your pharmacy people come in, you've got your pathology people, x-rays, doctors, junior doctors, specialist nurses, all this sort of stuff coming in and out. And so it's really hard to pinpoint who the person was that did this. So with Wetloffer, she explained it all. She went out and said, you know, this is what I did, this is how I did these things. And it's because of people like that that we actually learn a lot because Mm. without Wetloffer's confession, they had no idea. Crazy. You know, and so this is what happens. And so they, they they know that they're going to get away with things like this. Well, going through what was later declared an attempted murder on victim Paul, the police want her to go through her version of events. We are now arresting you for the attempt to murder of Paul Crampton. This child has been given a deliberate injection of insulin from which he could have died. I believe you gave it to him. Okay. In fact, this child... In fact, this child's... Okay, Amanda, I've stopped the audio there because I want to explain something that I've picked up. The officer stumbles just there and he stumbled because she smirked. She's hearing what he says and smirking. Yeah, I'm proud of you, Robert. Well done. (laughs) Well done. See, I didn't even put that in, but you've picked it up. I'm very, very proud of you, babe. Thank you. (laughs) But, yeah, but this is what, what... shows them that she is a psychopath. Who would literally laugh when they said, I believe you, you killed him? You well, know, through it's the not police officer, no, it threw the police officer so much, you can almost, and this is only an audio recording, but you can almost imagine him, he's reading the paper, looking down and sort of in his peripheral vision, sees the smirk, hears it a bit, looks up, just confused and thrown by it. Yep, absolutely. She, she... Lost the case right there, I I would say. Mm. Well, I'll start that clip again and we can listen to the rest of it now. We are now arresting you for the attempt to murder of Paul Crampton. This child has been given a deliberate injection of insulin from which he could have died. I believe you gave it to him. Okay. In fact, this child... In fact, this child has been given three injections of insulin on each occasion. On each date, was alone with him shortly before he suffered his hypoglycemic attacks. Yet again, this is not a coincidence, is it? No, Clive. And you say you went in there. Also in there was... Dad, Mr Crampton, and Paul. Did you give that child anything? Not a thing. I don't think I even went in the room. I'm really going to sneak back on the ward and say, oh, here, I'll have a bit of this. No matter how much you don't believe me, and I know you don't, I don't care. I can't bloody lie to you. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you for days on end while I get questioned. Amanda, she is fast-talking, but there really doesn't seem to be concern there. Her first response is no reply. Yeah, and it's amazing. Like They have literally put into her that she is a monster, that she's a horrible person, and she's just, yep, whatever. I mean, if you were arrested and you were innocent, would you be that flippant? No, you know, you'd you be would... scared that they're accusing you of doing something that you haven't done. Yep, and she has no worries, no concerns whatsoever. I mean, Rose West that we talked about before, her interviews were very, very similar to this. They try and make the scenario sound so preposterous that um, it, that it's 
not possible to have happened. Yeah, she goes, oh, yeah, snuck back onto the ward and gave him an injection. It's exactly what she did. She literally gives her her <laughs> confession as... In a, as if I could do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, but she also knows that even though she's the link with all of these cases, it's still circumstantial. They don't mm. have the evidence that she did it because it's not like she strangled him. You know, she, she gave him a massive dose of insulin. Very different. Well, she again tries to make the police theory sound stupid. You have evidence to say I injected him. What am I doing? Going around flipping, doing something to him? Probably. What? You tell me what I could do. I am not bloody lying. I will do it. Why is she taking this tack? Well, she really believes that if she sort of makes it so exaggerated that they're going to start to doubt themselves, you know, and, and they're going to back off because they're going to go, well... Why would she go around the ward and in, inject these kids? Like, honestly, it makes no sense. And it doesn't make sense because this is not what someone does. I mean, angels of death are actually quite rare, but they usually have high numbers because no one believes that that's what's happening because people in hospitals die. And these are the people that we put our trust in to make us better. And... Caregivers... And people in hospitals are trying to save people generally. Yeah, yeah. Caregivers in, 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 in hospital, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of them have God complexes because they really do decide life or death, but these mm. sorts of angels of death take it to that next level. They take it to that I will make that decision, not like my skills can can save your life, but I will see if I can take you to the brink of death and then bring you back. Well, it's interesting because... She was basically trying to get them to doubt themselves and they actually had to back off because, as you say, they didn't have the evidence and they faced the scary prospect of her returning to the paediatric ward. More now from the documentary Trevor MacDonald and the Killer Nurse. But what am I and doing? It's you, you tell me what I'm doing to know. the children. All I can say is that Paul Frampton suffered that in, because yeah. of insulin. So we have to so look at know. who's had the access to insulin. No matter what you say, I'm I'm sticking to my story. I did not do it. Is there anything you just want to clarify? Yeah, I'll be here all year. Anything you want to say? Ask me next year. I'll tell you another time. You know, she's really giving as good as she gets. Absolutely. She's talking over the top of them. She is repeating their questions back to them. She does not care and she's just going to keep going. She's She has complete conviction in, in what she's saying and she is going to keep driving that point home until they believe her. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the correlation with Rose West, who also took this tack. Why does a killer do that? We saw with Rose that it didn't work. She's ended up in jail for life. Why did Alec feel she would get away with it? Because they they are childlike, you know, that the voice is exactly who she, she is. You know, she thinks by answering a question with a question that they're not going to continue asking because they think like Alec thinks that they have their answer but she doesn't realise that she's actually repeating questions back to them. She's not denying, you know, and then mm. we have the no replies and everything as well. But, you know, it's like seeing, you know, your your kid comes to you and they're covered in chocolate cake and you say, did you do it? And they go, no, of course I didn't do it. And, you know, you try and believe them because they're trying to be earnest and that's what's happening here. She thinks that if she makes them believe that how could someone so so light and airy and fluffy and nice could do this sort of thing that maybe they will start looking elsewhere, that they need to find their monster, but the monster is hidden by, by this childlike voice. Mm. 
Well, another case we've been following in our news section is the more recent Chester Hospital baby deaths. One nurse has so far been arrested twice, but still no charges have been laid. Are these? Is this an indication of just how hard these cases are to pin down? Absolutely. You know, as I said before, there there is so many. Um reports and investigations in, in place for anything like this that it's very rare for them to occur but when they do occur they often carefully select their victims usually the elderly that they can do it in 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 the hundreds i mean harold shipman they believe he, he killed about 315 patients you know we've got niles hodel in in germany he was 100 patients they get these massive, massive um, kill rates because they so carefully selected these patients that are going to die. But mm. with a baby case like this and, and, and the Chester Hospital case, it's really a fine point because it's not like an elderly person can say, oh, well, I saw them come in or, you know, th- there's all these different things that happen with babies. And because these are sick children, often the parents have to go home or, or, or leave and they put their trust in these nurses. I mean, Beverly Allen yes. was actually the godmother of one of her victims. No. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely disgusting. But this is what happens. This is how much they they can fool people into believing that, they aren't doing that. And they're usually not related, you know. So, you know, one baby dies this week, one baby dies next week. Those families aren't going to talk, you know. It's not like there's suddenly girls being picked up that are hitchhikers because that sort of becomes a pattern. But elderly people or sick people in hospital dying doesn't raise those flags like it would if someone was, you know, heading down to McDonald's and disappeared. It's a very different scenario and that's why they're so hard to pin down. So, Amanda, a little earlier we talked about the fact that um, police had a fear of her going back to the paediatrics ward. Did that actually end up happening? Well, the police actually rung the hospital and said, look, we can't hold her. There's no reason for her not to return. So they begged them to make her go on on to paid leave, just anything, just to not have her in, around patients, you know. And and it is quite frustrating because, you know, things like, like the Chester Hospital babies, the same things happen there. They have arrested this nurse twice and she was able to, to return to work because... Because there's a presumption of innocence. Well, there is. And really, it's so hard to pin down. Well, interestingly... After that had happened, the police realised that bloods taken from several of the possible victims had been saved and they found various lethal doses of various substances in their samples and so Alet was again arrested. Would you like to give your full name, please? Beverly Gale Alet. And your date of birth? 4th of the 10th, 1968. I've already been interviewed at great length by police in relation to various allegations made. I have been under great pressure because of the vast amount of media attention on me. And in this case, I do not therefore wish to answer any more questions. Someone's lawyered up. (laughs) That's exactly what it sounds like, doesn't it? You know, she has the strength of her own convictions. She's basically going to start with the no reply, no responses again, because she has answered these questions. And she got a bit flighty and fighty that they really, I'd say her lawyer said, don't answer it, shut up, read this Mm. script, and that's all you're going to say. Well, let's go back to the Trevor McDonald program as Alec refuses to answer questions while we hear what she actually did. Have you opened for the parents of these children? No reply. It's quite sad, really, isn't it? No reply. I've 
obviously uh, solicitor was there and she just made no comment throughout the whole of the, uh, the interview. Especially children, in particular to me, people like Claire Pack. 15-month-old girl, smiles and winks at the staff. Claire Pegg. She came into the hospital with, with asthma. She's left with, with Beverly Allett for a space of two minutes, no more. And she suffers the first of two collapses. Dr. Porter goes away to tell the, the parents of the little girl that she's on the road to recovery. Beverly Allett's left with her, and within, again, within the space of two minutes, she's stopped breathing and they can't resuscitate her. Do you feel anything for those parents, for the children you saw? Here, here is a little girl that ostensibly is on the road to recovery, and in the space of two minutes, she's killed her. Gosh, it must take a fair amount of resolve to answer like that when you are essentially being called a monster. Well, we know that her um, real and natural response is to fight back, is to answer them and to go at them. But she now has this lawyer set sitting next to her. She looks at him and then she says no reply. And that's mm. what she has to do. She has to bite her tongue, which we can see it's painful. She's not answering as quickly as she was before because she needs to bite it down because she wants to say to them, how dare you call me this? How dare you throw these accusations at me? Mm. But she's not allowed to. So she has to be called a monster and just sit there and take Now, the police who were involved in her case dug into her past to see if it gave any insight into how she became a child killer. Here are detectives Neil Jones and Michelle Billingsley on the ITV program. She had a really chequered history. She was a born liar. From being a child, she made things up. I think the main thing was this attention-seeking thing. I have to ask, how does she go from attention-seeking to denying the killings? It doesn't seem to go together. Well, it doesn't seem to go together, but it actually does because um, the attention-seeking is this hero status that she wants. So, you know, she's going to deny it because she wants to go back to what she likes to do. You know, it's still that same need for attention. And when you see footage of her being arrested, she laughs and smiles and loves it. She has had the great time being in the prison van with all the press running around her. You know, here is someone who has spent her whole life making up stories and now she is the story. So she's gone from things like hypochondria, you know, lots of sick days um, and this need for attention that she would make up stories and just bandage her arm. You know, and that's what these killings were it is what we would now call munchausen's by proxy and what it is is that she just wants the attention because she's the person who's causing this but then also correcting it Hmm. well alec was charged with the murders attempted murders and several counts of grievous bodily harm she pled not guilty to the crimes and that allowed her to plead not guilty by reasonable insanity but her mental stability was still brought into play and it was here that the first mentions were made of a possible diagnosis of Munchausen's by proxy. Okay Amanda, we've all heard the term. Do you want to just explain what it is? 
Well, it's actually now called fictitious disorder by proxy. So it's kind of related to hypochondria, but um, with it being a proxy, it means that the illness or the injuries are actually inflicted on someone else, usually by a caregiver. So it's usually um, a parent that... Um, that causes a child to be sick um there's cases like the mum in the u.s who who was feeding her baby salt until he died and um it's about getting that attention so what she's doing is that she is the caregiver in the clinical environment and so she's the one who is causing these injuries and the harm to these children so she can also be the person who gets the attention because she raises these alarms with everyone around her to come and save these children she goes look at me i saved their lives Mm. So who brought up this line of defence? Well, now this is where it gets interesting and this is where I'm about to go off on a long tangent very, very soon. So sorry. Mm. Stand (laughs) um, by, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, so bear with me because we're going down a very different path. Munchausen's by proxy was described by Professor Roy Meadow and I am not a fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I have the court transcript here in regards to Meadows' testimony. This is what it says. Professor Meadow was an eminent consultant paediatrician, but not, it should be noted, a psychiatrist. He had been called as an expert witness by the prosecution during the trial. He had made a study of what has been called Munchausen syndrome by proxy. He described Munchausen syndrome simpliciter as follows. Quote, It is a term that may be applied to persons who invent or cause illness for themselves, so causing themselves as an individual to be treated needlessly by doctors and to have treatments, investigations and indeed operations for that false illness. It is thought that they may have a defects of their personality that causes them to act in this way. It is not thought that they are masochists who relish personal pain or having the painful side of hospital investigations or treatments, but they do seem to relish the attention and care and some of the contacts for them that are the end result of their false illness. Asked what Munchausen's syndrome by proxy was, he said, and I quote, The term is really a form of child abuse when the child has a false illness invented and caused by another person, and that is, of course, always an adult, end quote. Professor Meadow referred to Miss Allett's medical records and concluded that she had an extensive history of self-harm and was satisfied that Munchausen syndrome is a term that can be applied to Beverly Allett. He similarly thought that her index offences were a most extreme case of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. He was then asked about her intention to cause suffering with the prosecutor asking, question, she is portrayed in the media as evil and out to cause suffering. Is that the way you see her or such a case, Professor? To which he replied, What happened was extremely evil, and all the children involved suffered very greatly, as did their families, and indeed, in a variety of ways, all those concerned with these awful events. So for the children, it was evil, and they suffered. My experience of mothers who have abused their children in this way is that the great majority do not set out with the purpose of causing their children suffering and harm. It is a very strange way they are able to shut out their minds to the suffering their child is incurring. It is as if the benefit they get personally from their actions completely outweighs and is separate from what the rest of us observe, which is terrible harm and suffering for the child. It is, my lord, a little bit akin 
to the way that adults with Munchausen's behave. They are causing themselves pain and suffering, and yet for some strange reason, it does not seem to register or stop them from going on hurting or harming themselves. Now, Amanda, I can see you and your brow is quite furrowed. Why is that? That seems all above board. Okay, let me break this down. Mm -hmm. Roy Meadow, right, Mm -hmm. I have been doing a research assessment on him for two years. So, you know, if you know what I can do in a month, you can imagine what what, what I can do in two years. So he is actually the inventor of the term Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Why is that a bad thing? He's not a psychiatrist. This is a psychiatric disorder. So let's start there. He's a paediatrician. He's a paediatrician. And he wrote an article called The ABC of Child Abuse. And from it comes something that is now called Meadows Law. That, and and, and I quote this, in a single family, one sudden infant death is a tragedy, two is suspicious, and three is murder until proven otherwise. So this... Well, isn't that the same theory that's really caused Catherine Folbig to be put in jail? Oh, honey. <laughs> this Am I law, wrong? For, no, that, this is exactly right. And this is where my research project is. You know, this law has seen so many women go to prison for the deaths of their babies, only to see the convictions overturned. So all the cases that he has testified at or his evidence has been testified on his behalf has been quashed except for Kath Volby. She's the only one that has not been overturned. So he mm. claims that the odds of two cot deaths in one family is 73 million to one. But several How journals... How did he come to that? Well, exactly. Several journals have actually gone and done real research and they've actually proved that this statistic has no real basis in data. He just pulled this out of his head. So, so why isn't Folbig using this in her defence? Sorry, I know this isn't Alec-related. <laughs> no, but... that's okay. We will get there, believe me. Um, you know, but this is the thing, is that in this case... The investigation into Folbig's uh, sentencing was done earlier, uh, late last year, sorry, and they refused to look at this evidence, even though it's been overturned in every other case, including cases in Australia. This data does not exist. Mm. There is no proof. This is saying that three child deaths, though it is extraordinarily horrible and does happen, it can't be proven as murder and then being proved innocent. That's not how our legal system works. That's right. But they are quoting this to say, if you have three children die in one family, the mother is a murderer. Okay. And this is leading somewhere else in relation to this case? Well, it is. I mean, this is an eminent consultant paediatrician, as the as he was called in, in, in the court. He was actually struck off the British Medical Register for misleading and erroneous evidence at the trials of one British mum. No. Yes. So getting back to Munchausen syndrome by proxy, he claims that he was actually taught by Sigmund Freud's daughter, Anna, and this is why he can make these these expert opinions. This has actually been proven as wrong as well. No. Anna Freud has no idea who this guy is. But it was actually <laughs> it was actually the case of Beverly Allett that got him the attention that allowed him to go on and do all of this work. So this is where he he began. He got his attention from this court case and then just started blurting out facts and figures that had no basis in real medical evidence. So, you know, even in this trial We all know the term Munchausen's by proxy. Yep. 
And it's, I mean, it, it does occur. We know it does. I mean, there is the big cases sure. like Gypsy Roe Blanchard and all of that. We know it happens. But he is not trained in psychiatry. And he claims... This is dangerous. I know. He claims in the trial that Alec was severely mentally disturbed and would never recover. It was his testimony that they decided that she would be found not guilty by reason of insanity. Wow. So I'm sorry for getting all passionate there, guys, but this is what... This is the background evidence. This is what we have. So we have a eminent paediatrician saying, um, giving expert testimony in the field of psychiatry that's been since disproven. He has been barred from the registers in his own country, and yet there's people sitting in jail purely because of his evidence. Including Catherine Folbig. Including Catherine Folbig. Um, and... At- as you also said, Alet has been detained at Her Majesty's pleasure in a mental health facility, and that's where she remains to this very day. And they've done interviews with her since then, where she is actually quite thin and pretty looking now, whereas she was quite heavy back then. And she is actually saying that she has more freedom now and a better life now in this basically day spa than, than she should be getting for killing these children. And this is purely based on this man's testimony. Unbelievable. All right, Amanda, that's been a really powerful episode. Thank you once again for bringing us that. And don't forget, you can follow Amanda on Twitter at AmandaHoward73. I'm Rob underscore McKnight. And there's always the Monsters Who Murder Twitter account, which is MWM Confessions. We'll see you next week for Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.